So I'm going to have you turn now to Ephesians chapter 2. You're reading verses 8 through 10. Please stand when you find your place for the reading of God's Word. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, with God, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Just reading God's word, you may be seated. So, have you ever thought about the, the song Amazing Grace? Well, what those words mean. We, we, we often will, will sing them and sing them. This is the one song that, regardless if you go to church every Sunday or you've been one time, somehow we just seem to know this song. He even joked about it at the concert last night. He's like, if you don't know this next song, y'all need to get to church. <laughs> and that song, of course, was Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Those words are utterly true. God's grace has saved, God's grace has saved someone like me. You know, the, the, the word wretch, I don't think that quite goes deep enough. It saved a depraved sinner, someone whose heart is cold and evil all the days of our lives. That, that, that's where we're just beginning to understand what, what grace really is. So I want us to think about, you know, in, in our own minds, if I were to ask you what grace is, could you tell me? Grace is one of those things that oftentimes we'll describe, but we have a hard time putting into words what grace is. And sometimes we don't always think of it the same. I, I want you to think about here. How many here have grown up in a Baptist church from the time they were a kid? You can raise your hand. About half. How many here have not? Many of you have grown up in Catholic, Lutheran. Many of you didn't, were like me. You were just never brought to church. Pentecostal. Yep. And so the word grace may have different meanings in your context and your culture. The Reformation, there was a lot of people fighting over this word grace. What, what did grace mean? You know, for, for some of them, um, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the Roman Catholic Church was the only game in town, so what they said about grace, that's what people thought it meant. And so we get into it, they, they would say you can experience grace by entering the ministry. That was one way you could experience grace. Or by getting married, you would experience grace. Or by partaking of the sacraments in the Lord's table, you would partake of grace. And, it, and when I would study that and read that, I'm like, what do you mean? And what they would teach is that these, this grace that they were speaking of was temporary. It had an expiration date. It was based on your works. And, and so if you came one, one Sunday, you had to come and confess your sins and then partake of the Lord's table. Because once you went out that door, you were going to screw up as we all do. We're all sinners. The Apostle John says if we, if we sin and, and deny it, that we are liars. We have no part of Christ. That's what First John tells us. And so what they were teaching is that, well, you received God's grace last week, but you've got to come back for some more. Because it is not all sufficient. So I'd ask you, does God's grace have a time limit? Does it have an expiration date? Can you go to the store and buy it and you know, look at the date and like, oh, well, I'm good for three months? No. But if we're honest, many of us treat, treat God's grace like it's just like that. That some, somehow the work of the cross is going to expire based off of the number of sins we commit this week. But that's not what God's grace is. That's truly misunderstanding it. 
So we understand the, uh, the amount of uh, fighting that was going on and why they were fighting over this word grace. If there was one theme of the five solas that we're talking about in all the Reformation, one thing that they were fighting most about that was at the heart of the issue is what does the Scripture mean by God's grace? That you have been saved alone by God's grace. That's what they're fighting about. That's what they're arguing about. That's what they were being killed over. This was not just some theological argument we could have after, you know, in a Sunday school class and say, what do you think grace means? I think it means this, you think it means that. And then we go on our way just choosing to, to agree to disagree. People were losing their lives over what grace meant. It had great implications. The church at the time was teaching that this is what grace is, that Jesus and Mary did so many good deeds that they created a storehouse of extra good deeds that couldn't be applied to them because they exceeded whatever the requirement was, as if there is some requirement of good deeds that gets you into heaven. The reality is one sin makes all those good deeds worthless. And so they would tell you that that there's this storehouse and that if you come to the church, the, the popes and the bishops and, and the cardinals and the priests can, can give you some of Jesus' grace for, for a temporary period of time. Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and the others said, no, this is not Scripture. This is man-made rules. Man-made's a- adding to. It's a form of legalism. It's a form of what we saw at the concert where they were, they were singing against saying, no, that is not the Gospel. The gospel is that God Himself has offered you grace. Grace that you frankly don't deserve. Grace that I surely don't deserve. And when we do that, we, we make it cheap. We, make, we, make, we empty grace of its power. The famous World War II theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. You cannot experience God's grace unless you experience Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. You know, and I know we'll get to Christ alone next week, but the reality is that it's all wrapped together. If you want to experience the grace, if, if you want the salvation that Jesus offers, repentance is required. You're not going to come to faith unless you humble yourselves. You empty yourselves out of everything. That, that, that faith that stirs up in you will say, I am a wretched sinner. I can do nothing on my own. I need Jesus Christ. Lord God, I am sorry. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That is when you've experienced grace. But some like to come, who oftentimes at concerts and here in church will have altar calls. And that's why I never tell you, say these words and you'll be saved. Because unless you've repented in your heart, you just took a walk and got down on your knees for a little while. Baptism won't save you. When we have the Lord's table, the elements of the Lord's table, they're nothing more than what we've created them to be. They're bread and juice. There's not grace in them themselves. Grace comes from God not from things we can make with our hands. It's foolishness to think that way. We need to understand truly what grace is. Because too often we get comfortable in our sin. We get comfortable in our traditions. We get comfortable and look around and oftentimes at the end of service we'll do the altar call, we'll play the music and it's powerful. And there's sometimes where when I preach and, and I'm like, okay, I, I did what the Lord told me today. Somebody's going to come down. And no one comes down. 
And why is that? Because I think oftentimes we'll, we'll all look around and say, surely somebody had to be convicted by that sermon. They're going to come down. But do we ask ourselves, am I the one that was supposed to be convicted by that sermon? Am I ignoring what God is telling me today? Am I shunning His grace? There's no condemnation. There's no judgment for coming down to receiving God's grace, to, to receive the offer of salvation. But too often we care too much about what other people think and too little about what God thinks. This altar that we have here is much more than asking God to save us. This is the place where we come and humble ourselves and find that heaven and earth are meeting. In that moment, we we are in God's presence. We are able to pray up to His throne. Pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That can happen no other way but God's grace. You do not have the right to go up to the throne room of God on your own. There, there is not, not one here, and ultimately what, what grace of Scripture says, that not one of you would choose to follow God on your own if God's grace did not come upon you first. That all of us, our hearts are evil. And Jesus said, no, not one. There is not one good. Even His disciples, His, his beloved friends who He called out and He chose, He calls them evil. He says, you being evil know how to give good gifts. You know, I, I think uh, oftentimes we get this idea of Jesus being this lo- loving um, young man, and, and he was loving, but he was also straight to the point. He, he didn't sugarcoat anything, and too often we want to sugarcoat things. We partake in the Lord's table, and we will do, um, some have asked, why has it been so long? Quite frankly, as a church, we've got to purify our hearts. When we have the Lord's table, we go before God, and I ask you to clean your hearts. Do not defame the Lord's table. There's very few things in Scripture that will guarantee you the judgment of God. This is one of them. So we as a church, we need to humble ourselves and receive that grace that God has given. The Lord's table is something very serious to take. Over and over again, we look around and we look at grace and we have these different ideas and ultimately, I think what most people have is a lack of understanding of grace. What they really believe grace is, is a Christian form of karma. That God will give you His grace as long as you're pleasing Him, as long as you're doing those good things. But the moment you stop doing those good things, something bad is going to happen. Judgment's going to come your way. But what does Scripture actually speak of? It speaks of God will put us through trials. Trials that are meant to test our faith, to produce endurance. Because like any soldier, God is going to call us and put us on missions that are difficult. And if you can't pass the smallest boot camp training, you're not going to be able to go into the actual battlefield. You're not ever going to become a Navy SEAL if you can't pass boot camp. That's just the reality of it. God puts us through trials to produce endurance of our faith. To show others that our faith is real. So that when those real times come, when those real storms of life come, we'll be able to stand tall. And then there are temptations from the devil. Scripture is quite clear. God will never tempt you to sin. God hates sin. Why would he want his own to sin? That is the devil. And we need to flee from the devil. We need to rebuke him. It tells us that, that if, if we refuse to sin, if we flee from those temptations, the devil will leave. Because he knows he has no power. He doesn't change his game. It's the same temptations over and over and over. 
Many times we'll hear about that disease we just got and we get afraid. How are we going to deal with this now? Maybe we lost a job. How am I going to provide for my family? Temptations are the same all the time. The devil hasn't changed his tricks. He did the same with Adam and Eve as he did with Jesus as he's done with us. We need to stand tall. I admit that as a, a preacher, there is a temptation for preachers and it's a very easy trap to fall into. What the devil wants me to do is to make grace cheap. To, to sell you Jesus. To tell you, your life is going to be great once you come down to this altar, experience the grace of Jesus Christ, and it's going to be great. There are thousands of preachers across this land who do that. They tell you it's, it's going to be wonderful once you accept Jesus. Everything is going to be good in life. No, it's quite the opposite, actually. The devil is going to attack you much harder. You're going to find that God calls you out of your comfort zone. Many of us ignore him when he tells us to stand up and become preachers. Stands up tells us, you know what, you need to minister to this person. Or you know what, your family, we want you to go and be missionaries. Go to a land you don't know, a people you don't know, and proclaim the gospel to them and trust God in doing so. Oftentimes we ignore those calls. Because we're not really trusting in God. We're not really trusting once we get outside of our comfort zone. We, we, we get put in positions of like, this is what we're used to. This is what I do. Many of us can think about the jobs we have. What if God told you to leave your job today? Would you do it? Most of us, only if He forced us. Only if He removed the job and you had nothing else to lose. That is not what, what God asks of us. He asks us to proclaim the truth. As a preacher, I must proclaim the truth to you. The, the truth is hard to hear sometimes. Nobody likes to hear they're a sinner. Guess what? Everyone in this room is a sinner. Myself included. There's no way around that. I want you to think about grace in a, in a way of, of this. And in my definition for, for grace is that it's the unmerited, undeserving unbelievable favor of God upon the sinner. You don't deserve it. You don't. I don't deserve it. But God has given it to us anyway. His Son has called us to Himself. He said, I have chosen you. I want you to be my bride. And many of us, we, we treat Him and say, okay, that sounds good. I'll, I'll receive eternal salvation. I'll be able to live with Jesus. But we like we don't ever put that engagement ring on, do we? We don't ever try to, to prepare ourselves for the marriage feast. We don't really follow Him. As the men's study will know, we, we call ourselves, we're fans. We like to come to church. We like to do the religious things. Because it makes us feel good. We feel like we're, we're doing something to please God. What will please God? Scripture only gives you one thing that will ever please God. Believe on the one whom He has sent. Will you believe on Him? Will you follow Him? This is not a Sunday morning commitment. Jesus doesn't say, you know, I love you so much. I want you on Sunday morning from 9.30, unless you're really tired, from 11 o'clock till 12.30. That, that's what Jesus wants out of you. Is that what Jesus wants? No, He wants everything. He wants your whole life. He wants to be the most important thing every day of every moment. From the moment you wake up, to the moment you go to sleep, while you're sleeping. Is He the most important thing? For most of us, He's not. 
The reality is we choose our parents, our children, our jobs, our cars, our houses. You know, we want to follow Jesus, but it's only up to that point of sacrifice. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, there will be sacrifice. We don't like to think about many of his words like, you shall leave your father and mother. He who does not is not worthy of me. That one will hit home a little bit. We all, all love our parents. But what Jesus is saying, that you can't look back. That if you're going to follow me, I am the most important thing. He's not telling you to hate your parents. It's quite, quite the opposite. But he, he's saying in comparison that the love for him shall have no equal. Because he has offered us this grace that it is beyond belief. When we think about how can we be saved, we, we look at all the other religions, and I know many people, they've, they've tried this one and that one and that one and that one. And at the end of the day, you could summarize it in, in, in two different categories. The religions of the world say, you, old man, you get to work hard all your days of your life, feel bad and hate yourself all the time. Or Christ says, come experience my grace. I love you. I died for you. There's nothing you can do that will make me love you any less. And on the quite opposite end of the spectrum, there's nothing you could do in a good aspect to make God love you more. Can He love you more than, than He loved you on the cross? No, that, that is the grace of God. At the end of the day, Paul says, we have no reason to boast because it is the, completely the work of God that the, the grace He has bestowed upon us and we're going through the, the Reformation and talking about it, but I don't want you to be reformed as the Reformers wanted to do to the church. They wanted the church to go back what it meant. But the reality, what I am asking yourself to be willing to do is, I'll use the analogy of sheep and goats that the Bible uses all the time. It is never good to be a goat in the Bible. The goat means judgment. We get that word scapegoat, that's a biblical term. You do not want to be the goat. The goat represented evil. It represented sin. It represented Satan. While the sheep, that, that represented the believer. You know, they go astray sometimes, but the shepherd always is there for them. So what, what does this grace do? It, it's, it's not taking a sheep that has gotten a little bit dirty and clean itself up again. It is taking this goat and Jesus saying to you, the goat, I love you so much, I am going to make you into a sheep. He is not reforming a sheep to look like a better sheep. He is reforming, not reforming, but he is regenerating the goat. He is making this a new creature. He said, goat, you sinner, you are no longer going to be a sinner. You are going to be a sheep unblemished and spotless before my Father, worthy to enter my presence. That is the grace of God. And so when that, that sheep goes out and it wanders away, we will all wander. As Isaiah said, all like sheep have wandered their own way. What happens when you wander your own way? Maybe you get stuck on the fence or you get up on a high rock on a mountain and you can't get down. And you're all dirty and, and you need help. And so God will come. He will send His shepherd, Jesus Christ, His own Son, to bring you back to the sheepfold. But at no point have you ever stopped being a sheep. The sheeps represent those who are saved. And it's God and God alone that could take a goat and make him into a sheep. As much as the, the goat wants and looks at the sheep and be like, it would be nice to, to be a sheep, reality the, the goats are stubborn. 
they're sinful. They, 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 they like to go off on their own. They, they like to fight with each other. They like to be their own master. But when Jesus calls us to, to be a sheep, He is saying, I am your master. I am your shepherd. You ever see the paintings where the, the sheep is up on the shepherd's shoulders? You know why they're on their sh- the shepherd's shoulders? Because these stubborn sheep won't listen. So what does the shepherd do? He breaks their legs. So they can't wander off anymore. That's why the sheep is being carried. Because they can't walk. Because they won't surrender to their shepherd's will. And so their shepherd will break them. And we look at it we think, well that's kind of mean. It's for their own good. Because sheep are stupid. Plain and simple. They are stupid. They will walk off a cliff if you let them. Sometimes I am a stupid sheep. We, we, get, we get into those places in life where we're going against God's will. That is stupid, beyond foolish. God will break you. But you'll never stop being His sheep. We deserve wrath, but we get His grace. We deserve hate, but we get love. We deserve hell, but we get paradise. We, de- we honestly deserve to be put on trial for treason. But we are not only pardoned, we are put in a position of royalty in the king's court. I want you to wrap your mind around the things that God has bestowed upon us. How naturally unfitting it is for us to be in the king's court. I'll give you one more example before we close. As, as we're looking at it, and many of us have, have heard the words cancer in our lives or our friends' lives, or brothers' and sisters' lives, certainly here at, at church. This is the reality. Many of us will go for physicals in the world, and, and sometimes we, we take those physicals and we get that phone call. And there's one phone call you don't want to get. When, when the nurse calls you and says, the doctor wants to see you in the office, you know bad news is coming. The reality is we need to go and submit ourselves spiritually for a spiritual examination. Some of, some of us are still those goats and like, we think we're fine, we're, we're young in life, we're, we're going on and oh, we feel fine, we don't notice anything. The next thing you know, you start feeling something. Something's, you get a lump here or, or something's going on, you, you're just not, you can't walk the way you used to or you don't have that energy, you're always tired. And so you go get that examination and you get that phone call. And so you go into the office and the doctor sits down with you. He says, I got bad news. You got cancer. This is what Jesus tells us. He's the surgeon. He's the doctor. If we're honest, the, us preachers, we're the nurses. We're the one who calls you and says, you need to come and sit down. got something to tell you. I'm not telling you you have cancer. I'm telling you you have sin inside your soul. It is something far worse than cancer. A day will come where, where most of us will die. That reality will come. And when that, that moment and that day comes, we die, we'll be set free. But not if there's still sin consuming our soul. Not if we still have that cancer and haven't been treated for that. So I want you to think about when, the, when our, our Dr. Jesus sits, sits us down and says, you have cancer. You have this sin inside of you. And there is a treatment for it. And I want to tell you about this treatment. This treatment is not easy. It's hard. It takes sacrifice. 
And then you start thinking, man, I, I didn't, I couldn't afford the insurance this month. I can't pay for this. And then the doctor says, don't worry about it. We'll cover it. You need this treatment. We want you to get well. And you start going over your life, you know, can I afford this treatment? Can I really trust him? Is this going to work? But when Jesus says, yes, this is going to work, I will remove the cancer. I will remove the sin. And that is what he did on the cross. Now, you can look across on the doctor and say, well, I don't really believe I got cancer inside of me, so I'm not going to take the treatment. Or you're going to say, you know what, I know I got something wrong, but I don't want the treatment. I'll try to do natural remedies. I'll try to do things my own way. And so many of us do that. We try to do our own way, our own way of being religious, our own way of trying to make ourselves right. The world wants to tell us there are many ways to God. and There's but one way. God's way. That is the reality we all face. Now, so you go through this treatment and you cannot believe that you're being offered this treatment that we call grace for free. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But Christ gives it to us anyway. It says, if you will believe in me, I will remove that sin. I paid for it on the cross. I can take it. That is what He offers to us. He offers you that treatment. He offers that grace to you freely. You just have to believe that He is the cure. That, that not only has He offered you salvation, but He's offered you to follow Him, to be in relationship with Him. And that is what He's asking you to do, to be in that relationship. And at, at the end of it, you experience this grace and you say, this is so amazing, I am cancer free, I am free from that sin in my life. What's the catch? So maybe you go back into the doctor or you go talk to the, one of the nurses and say, Pastor, what's the catch? Why would He do this for me? And this is the greatest thing of all. Why did He do it for you? He does love you. Because you're His son or daughter. Who here has kids? I want you to imagine yourself, you're a surgeon. Your daughter needs a heart transplant. You know how to do it. You have the skill to do it. Would you charge your daughter to transplant her heart? No. You start to understand the love that God has for us. And so we come to that point where when we've humbled ourselves and we've gone under that treatment, even that that treatment is hard, we have truly gone from being a goat to a sheep. Even if we're not the smartest of sheep, we're still a sheep. Don't look down on being a sheep. It is a great and glorious thing to be a sheep because you'll enter into the shepherd's fold. You'll be able to obey his voice. He doesn't say the goats obey his voice. It is the sheep who obeys his voice. So we'll come to that point. We've received God's grace. We've experienced that new life. We have been truly born again. And now Jesus says, I want you to join me here at the hospital. There's others who need to know. There's others that, that need to be these nurses calling out to people and saying, you need to go see the physician. There's something wrong. It's not easy being that person. You'll get a lot of doors slammed in your face. Relationships will end. Nobody wants to believe they're sick. Nobody wants to believe you're dying. But that is the absolute reality. A day will come, whether it's cancer, emphysema, all kinds of issues, heart attacks, lungs, 
whatever it may be, a, a day of death will come for us all. But your soul has the opportunity to experience new life. I've said many times here, you're going to live forever. That should excite you. That death is not the end. When we hear about death, it should not be, oh no. We should be like Paul who says, death is Christ. To die means to be with our Lord forever. That great physician who has made us new, has caused us to be born again, who has made us go from that goat to that sheep. We get to be with our great shepherd. We won't have to worry about our getting sick. We won't have to worry about getting dirty, being rid with disease. Because we will be with Him forever. But He has us here for a reason. He wants us to go out there and, and see those goats we used to, to be goats with. We used to go around in, in those places and do what they used to do. He wants us to extend that grace to them. I offer to you, everyone here today, the grace of God can be yours. It's not something I can sell. You have to experience. There's no charge for it. And as believers, we need to extend this grace. And there's part of me that wonders as a believer, can I really give you grace the way God has given me? And I don't think we can fully give that kind of grace. But what we can do is give mercy. We can give mercy to others. When others sin against us, we could show them mercy. When others wrong us. I want you to think about and ask yourself, what is grace? Where is grace that you need to show in your lives? For some of us, that, that grace maybe is that father or mother who walked out on you. Showing them that grace and that love of God that they don't really deserve. They've wronged you. They don't deserve it. But you show it to them anyway. You give them that mercy. I want you to think about who's wronged you. Go to them and offer them mercy this week. Offer them to sit down with the surgeon, Jesus Christ. Because He and He alone is the only one that can make it all better. Keep telling them anyway. Many, as I said, many don't want to hear that they're sick. Many don't want to hear that they're dying. I know many have heard that word cancer. So I'm not listening to that. La, 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 la. They're going to go on their life. People that don't want to listen are like this. You, you've, you've been told you have liver failure. But you don't want to believe that. So you keep on drinking. Or you got lung cancer. You keep on smoking. There, there, there's a point of fool, foolishness where, where it's incomprehensible for us. But it's incomprehensible for us because we've experienced that grace of God. Russ, you have experienced it. Share it with others. Not in a way that says... You're going to hell. No, it's a way that there's a way for you not to have to suffer. There's a way for you to have eternal life, to not have to ever fear hell. It is the grace of God. Let us pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for all the blessings you give us, Lord. Lord, as my brother Russ has echoed, I pray for those who do not want to listen, Lord, that as we go out today, that you would open our hearts and our ears, Lord God. That you would open those of those we'll speak with, Lord. That they'll realize that what we offer, we give because you have given freely to us, Lord. That there's no catch, there's no gotcha, there's no fine print. There's just your grace, Lord God. We thank you. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask us, we're going to play our...